Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those that are disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage via conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. You can contact us as well by email ogc at accessradio.biz and biz is spelled B-I-Z and check out our Facebook page Off Grid Christianity. Also coming to a website near you soon, off-grid Christianity website. More about that in weeks to come. So please enjoy today's guest, who was the Archdeacon of Northwest Europe from 2016. Although born in the Netherlands, our guest ministered in Bristol, having also studied at Trinity College in that fair city. He's also an author of a book on attitudes to material possessions in Genesis, entitled Jacob's Wealth. His main focus now is on Christilians, resilience with Christ at the centre. But what does Christilians mean? What was it like to be the Archdeacon of Northwest Europe? And what was his fuel bill like? Having spent some years in Bristol, has he got a Wurzel accent? All these questions, better find out some answers. Gives me great pleasure to welcome Paul Rolick to Off Greek Christianity. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. Good, sir. Well, thank you, Martin. Delighted to be here and uh, would be, uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about all these things you announced already. <laughs> you're too kind. You're too kind. Let's see if we can live up to your expectations then. But before we go to the other questions, let's do the five pertinent or not so pertinent questions, if that's right. I call them the interest getters. So if you're sitting comfortably, let's go for question number one, please, Paul. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be? This was one of the easier questions, Sir Martin. <laughs> for me, uh, the answer would be uh, Jesus Christ. Very good. Obviously, you know, I, I very much feel I have a personal relationship with Jesus. To meet him in person and to be close up and personal would be my greatest wish. Interesting. Very few people have chosen that answer in all these years that I've been doing it. Not trying to be cynical or sarcastic or anything else like that, but don't you think it might be a bit of a letdown meeting him this side of heaven? No, I, I think it could never be a letdown. So... No, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a hypothetical question, but... Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, my greatest longing is to uh, to meet him in person. It will be on the other side of uh, of death and dying. Yeah, I, I, I would just be delighted to uh, to meet him and see him face to face. So what question would you ask him? What would be your first question, do you think? I, I think I probably would be completely speechless. <laughs> so I've, I've not thought about that, but hopefully I have a bit bit more time to think about it. <laughs> Carefully, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have sort of any pressing questions. Um, you know, what about this? What about that? I think I just would be delighted to be in his presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would it be wrong for me to say? Could you ask him what red wine did he actually make when he changed it from water? Well, <laughs> it's, uh, it will be interesting to ask him that. Yes. It would not be a French one. It would not be a South African one. It would not be an Australian one. It would not be a Chilean one. Um, so, yes, it, it would be a, a good Jewish wine. Yes, I've got a feeling it'd be a Cabernet Sauvignon myself. But uh, was... but, but definitely new wine. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, and it'd be lovely. There's yeah. no two ways about yes. it. There'll be no two ways about it. Great answer. Thank you, Russian Deepal. Question two. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please, good sir? Well, I'm so glad you sent these questions in advance because with a number of these questions, I've been struggling a little bit. I mean, I did my sort of PhD research on Jacob. Um, So first, he he was one of the first people that sort of came to mind. But actually, 
having spent many years with Jacob, um, I don't think he would be my sort of favorite character. And thinking about, you know, what was that whole story about? Maybe it was about God loving the unlovable. <laughs> uh, so Jacob did not make the cut. I, I thought about Paul, my the person I'm named after, uh, St. Paul. I think he would probably also be quite an intense person to know, <laughs> up close and personal. <laughs> so I, I thought I'd go with a safer thing, which is my favorite image in the, in the Bible, which ah. is uh, one of my favorite passages is Jeremiah 17, where you have the contrast between those who are self-sufficient and those who trust in the Lord. And, ah, okay. and it's also, it, it also links with my uh, resilience and Christilian's work. Yes, but, but the image of the tree that is next to a stream that sends out its roots into the, the living water, into the water. Yes. And then basically bears fruit in all seasons. I think for, you know, for a person, for a human being, for a Christian, especially, to be able to bear fruit in all seasons is, is a wonderful thought and, and something to really keep our eye on that... Actually, it is possible to bear fruit in all season when we are connected uh, to the one who gives us the living water. Yeah, yeah. For those that obviously do not know Jeremiah 17, tell us more about it, please. Yes, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just read it um, quickly. Please. There is the there, there's the contrast, as I said, said, uh, and the contrast is a bit, you know, it's a bit stark. So basically. It says, you know, thus says the Lord, cursed is the, the man, the one who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Well, that's the unattractive bit. So sort of the, <laughs> the, the self-sufficient bit. So having that out of the way, then the contrast Blessed is the man, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Hmm. You know, also when we sort of um, look at the, the news, look at sort of various things that are happening around us, also in our personal lives, you know, does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I think that's a wonderful, aspirational and inspirational bit of scripture to uh, to keep us going. Yeah, in what context was that written? Uh, it's it's written about uh, the, where Jeremiah is talking about the sin of Judah. Mm -hmm. uh, and prophets can be quite dire uh, because of, they're delivering these these dark and stark messages. But then there's always there's always hope. It never it never yes. it never is just delivering the bad news. It's always you know bringing people to the good news. Um, it's also interesting that straight after this passage, there's a there's a verse that says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Question mark. And then it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of their deeds. Of course, that's linked then with the tree that bears fruit in all seasons. And then Jeremiah sort of understands his, the human predicament and says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. 
So basically, that sort of cry of understanding the human predicament and then crying out to God to be healed and to be saved, uh, obviously, ultimately, is answered in the person of, of Jesus. Now, of course, when you first read it, I thought, ah, Psalm 1 comes to mind. And I don't know many Psalms, yep. but Psalm 1 starts about that, doesn't it? That's exactly the same image. As a tree grows by the, yep. the stream and it gets its roots into the water. Yeah. Yeah, I remember someone saying that to me literally a week before I had to give up work to, to look after my wife all those years ago. And he talked about Psalm 1. So it's interesting I've come full circle. And now Jeremiah 17 as well. Thank you, Paul. Uh, question three. This could be interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it up a minute. Yes. I know you lived in the UK, but you're now living originally from the Netherlands. You're now living in Brussels. Uh, so if you were prime minister of a country or even president of a country, that's the first question. Which one would it be? And then if you could change a law or impose new law, what would it be, please? Well, maybe this is the most difficult question, or it was the, <laughs> the most difficult question for me, and maybe this is the, the weirdest answer you have had on, on your programme. Oh, I don't know. Actually, it's an utterly bad idea for just one person to change a law. <laughs> maybe that's a bit of a cop-out. Yes. But I think it's a very good cop-out, because, <laughs> you know, when, you would, when one person is allowed to change a law, mm -hmm. or he can be unwise... Or he can be arrogant, because quite often we cannot fully oversee the implications. Yes. So every time you, especially when it comes to laws, which obviously are very important, actually it is, it is important to come to a common mind and to, to seek different insights from different people. I think maybe sort of uh, just as we speak, uh, the uh, the film Bruce Almighty comes to mind, where, yes. where Bruce... You know, is given the powers of God to do all sorts of things. And obviously, he, you know, he makes these decisions very casually and quite often very selfishly. And then obviously later in the film, you see all the ripples and all the consequences of his, you know, what he thought were really clever decisions. So so my, my answer is uh, I'll pass on this one because <laughs> I think I think it is much better if this is a... Uh, an effort where more people are involved and where we seek to do is the more popular. Don't go democratic. Don't bring democracy into this. <laughs> very good answer, actually. And I, I will let you have that because you did mention Bruce Almighty, which is very good. In fact, the sequel I thought was even better. It got absolutely panning by the, the press, but I thought the sequel was it was even better. You, by the way, what just staying with politics, obviously doing a little bit of research on your good self prior to this podcast, I came across the name Martin Vrolik, who was a Dutch politician. So the question is, any relation? No, not, not as far as I know. I think, but, but these sort of families were very large. Right. So, um, so yeah, large families. But so Martin Vrolik, yes, he, he was definitely related, but, but not any sort of close family. Got you. Thought I was in for a scoop there. Obviously not. <laughs> near, near, near. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> I have to deny you, Martin, on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Question for outside of family events. What has been your most enjoyable day out, please, Paul? M most of my enjoyable moments are with my family. But uh, I was thinking of two events, actually, mm. which were sort of uh, a close, close tie. One was a few years ago with uh, the colleagues in the cathedral chapter, in, in Europe, uh, with with Bishop Roberts, we did a, a sort of a pilgrimage mm -hmm. on the border of uh, Luxembourg and Germany, between Trier and Echternach. 
and uh, the the closing the closing part of that journey was a walk a walk to Echternach, where Willy Brod is buried. Uh, Willy Brod was basically was one of those missionary uh, monks uh, that came from England okay. to to mainland uh, Europe. And, and what was interesting, uh, so he he was the first Archbishop of Utrecht, right. And he is the patron saint of the Netherlands. Oh, is he? Something, actually, I only discovered when I was on this pilgrimage. Wow, and he's from England. Yeah. So he, um, so Willy brought, you know, very much, the, you know, the, the tradition of Columban and those sort of fiery monks. So Willy brought, uh, came to the Netherlands at the time of the, the, where there was the standoff between the Frisians and the Frankish. Mm-hmm sort of kings so and he was sort of in the middle in in Utrecht but he landed in the Netherlands uh, very close to where I I have a we have a small flat close to the sea there's another link is that just a further a bit further inland he then sort of established his first church in the Netherlands and he built it from the remains of a Roman encampment Ah. but on the place of that church was the church where I got married Ah. which was church number four Years later, we had this walk to Echternach, and the the ultimate thing was we had Holy Communion in the crypt of the church where he was buried, and his crypt was was open. So basically, we were sort of in the round having communion, and Willie Brod was in a way part of the circle. Wow! <laughs> and that was that was uh, you know that was a truly amazing few days actually. And uh, yeah, another another thing that came to mind was one day, um, I for my in my previous life, uh, when I worked in the oil industry, I worked in North America for a couple of years, and I went skiing with uh, a Dutch friend uh, west of Calvary, and in terms of natural beauty, being in in wonderful surroundings, an exciting sports filled fun day, that was one of the days that sort of came to my memory which is decades ago. So th- so th- these would be my two moments for first spot outside of uh, family events. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just to clear something up then, because when I was growing up, we always talked about playing football against Holland. Now, obviously, it's the more generic name, the Netherlands, because I believe Holland is one of the counties, for a better word of it. Am I right? Yeah, provinces. Yeah, Provinces, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I'm just trying to work out there where the word Dutch comes from. It's a, that's, a, that's a good question. So there was, I mean, languages obviously have, you know, evolved yeah. tremendously over the ages. And there was, there was a, a language, sorry, in the Middle Ages, were basically called Dietz, which was where you have Dutch and where you have Deutsch, German, so basically, uh, Dutch goes back to that sort of common language there was centuries ago uh, in the early Middle Ages. And then sort of, uh, yeah, there was sort of a distinction between German and Dutch at some point, uh, because also there are quite a n- number of linguistic links with, with English. Okay. Yeah. But that goes back a long, long time before that, because actually those that's very ancient history. But it goes back to that common language with the Germans. Oh, wow. Thank you. See, we learn something new every day on this programme. <laughs> uh, question five. What's been your most embarrassing moment to date, please, Paul? Well, again, sort of a, an answer on several levels, because at first, the first few days, I, I couldn't think of any. And, and the reason is I'm, I'm really blessed with selective memory. <laughs> <laughs> Good cop out again. When I was working in the States, I picked up 
golf and my greatest asset in that game was selective memory. So if if I just had one really decent shot, I would remember that shot and I would be a happy person leaving the course. So, uh, and I still have that. But um, there was one funny story actually, which was a little bit, it was very funny and it was quite embarrassing. Go for it. So w when I was a student in Delft, um, so I studied uh, applied physics and I was in a, in a student house and my good friend Martin, I think this was year three or year four in university, we thought actually we should do something about our dancing. <laughs> my mother had sort of had, had this list of things she wanted to see me do before I sort of grew up. And dancing was the box, the only box that was not ticked. <laughs> so actually, before I eventually would get married, I thought it would be a good idea to take up some dancing lessons. Now, my friend Martin had a, um, a girlfriend, Petra, theology student from Leiden, and she was a, a, a phenomenal dancer. And she said to us, she said, when you sign up for dancing lessons, you know, don't sign up for year one, you know, sign up for year two. Because actually, really, year two, they're just going to run through all the things you have done in year one. I'll give you some quick lessons, and then you sign up for year two, and you'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? What put, could possibly go wrong? So for two afternoons, you know, we thought, why invest a lot of time in this? Just for two afternoons, in my room, we cleared the furniture away. She came over, and we had some lessons. And as good technical guys, we had some maps. So we do, right, this dance, you know, one to right to the front, yeah, yeah, one right yeah. to the side, left. So we had it all sort of schematically, you know, all sussed out. She said, well, you know, the, the most common dances are this one, this one, this one. You know, let's focus on that and you'll be okay. And I still remember us going from the tram, in the tram to The Hague, the two of us together, completely feeling completely chuffed that we had sort of beaten the system <laughs> and uh, so we entered the dancing lessons and the first thing the sort of first ominous sign was that one of the people i knew was on the course as well he was sort of a, a year further ahead with physics so he said hi paul what are you doing here i said well um you know well i'm here to to dance and he said have you ever danced before i said well yeah <laughs> so anyway so quickly changed subject we started, so the guy up front says, you know, lots of people in the rooms, you know, let's see how much we remember after the summer. Pick your man, pick your girl, you know, and so basically line up in a, in a big circle and we'll start with an English waltz. And my, my friend is on the other side of the room and we look at each other in horror because that is, of course, one of the ones we did not practice. <laughs> The music starts and the, the circle starts to move and there were two disaster areas in the circle slowly moving around, me and my friend on opposite side of the rooms. So basically we sort of survived till the, the break and then the owner of the dance school came over and says, so what's going on here? You know, <laughs> have you guys danced before? And we said, well, yeah, we, yeah a little bit. And anyway, so I think we survived a few lessons, but yeah, I think... Now I can really laugh about it, but at the moment it, it, it was slightly embarrassing. Yeah, it was a good idea maybe to save some money, but in retrospect it wasn't. Absolutely. And of course, just put you on the spot even more, what's the difference between an English waltz and a Viennese waltz? I have no idea, Martin. You see, you should have gone on to the first series of dances. <laughs> I've never heard of it as an English waltz. I've always known it as a... 
walks or, or whatever. But listen, thank you so much for telling us those things. Before we go into Crystallians, because I'm really looking forward to knowing why you set it up, what it's all about. And the fact it's been going for a couple of years now uh, is all credit to you. You were, as we mentioned, the Archdeacon of Northwest Europe for a few years. What did that entail as a job, please? I mean, just to put it in context, I came to Brussels in to become the senior chaplain and canon chancellor in August of 2015. And roughly a year later, Bishop Robert asked me to become the Archdeacon of Northwest Europe, which is, by the way, the Benelux. So Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg. Got you. Um, so archdeacons are sort of jokingly sometimes referred to as the the, the, the bishops Rottweilers. Uh, <laughs> you know, so when we're on the bishops staff team, uh, so when there are we can act on behalf of the bishop mm-hmm. uh, in certain things. We um, when there's trouble in in places, the, the archdeacon quite often is sent in, uh, and and the archdeacons are quite keen when the key when there are vacancies. Yes. By the way, the the vacancy side of things I loved. Uh, so helping people, helping churches in vacancy to think about who are we, what sort of person do we need, and to help them in that whole process and selection of to getting their new what we call chaplain yeah, here yeah. in Europe. Yeah, yeah. It's been a great joy. I've I've learned learned tremendous lots of things about that. But there's also a lot of admin to deal with and other bits. I mean, Brussels, being the senior chaplain, is a full-time job. And then also to be an archdeacon. Actually, also when COVID then came, yeah. uh, that it, it just became too much to do two pretty much full-time jobs, I felt. So I decided to let the archdeacon job go and to focus on Brussels. Got you. And Benelux, which is Belgium, Netherlands and Luxembourg, is there much of a difference between those three countries as far as people think and react and everything else? Oh, massive differences. I mean, I've lived in lots of different countries in my life. I've lived in in the Netherlands, the US, uh, Singapore, the UK, France, Belgium, and the Netherlands, of course. Belgium is one of the most complicated countries I've ever lived in. in Oh, really? A country that came into existence uh, post-Napoleon, then first yeah. it was sort of created as a buffer state and it sort of was lumped in with the Netherlands, which was a very new country at the time in that setup. Uh, and then eventually, of course, Belgium became independent, where you have a Flemish part, where you have a French-speaking part, and where you also have a German-speaking part, which is smaller. So officially you have three official languages. Then you have all these levels of government, the federal you know, the whole country, the regions, then you have uh, provinces, you have cities. It, it's very, very complicated. Um, and of course, the Netherlands is also has its regions, but it's more of a unified country. And Luxembourg is, is a completely different country altogether with, mm. you know, its own language, Luxembourgish. And yeah, so very different, very different countries in a very small geographic area, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the the fun thing is, I mean, uh, because there are quite a number of uh, Anglican churches in a small area. Yeah. And some of them have been there for a long, long time. For example, places like Amsterdam, Antwerp, Rotterdam, The Hague. Anglicanism in Belgium is part of the, well, the national landscape because it's one of the re- recognized religions in uh, in Belgium. Okay. The Anglican church also receives support from the Belgian state, which is a, is a unique thing. 
I've loved that sort of diversity and working in these different sort of legal settings because it is all very different. Yeah, yeah. So that's your past. Let's talk about now then and Christilliance. Why did you want to start Christilliance? Obviously, we're going to ask in a minute. But first of all, where does this word Christilliance come from, please? I, w- I would say I've sort of discovered Christilians. So I, I came up with the phrase, uh, having done lots of work over the years, research on resilience, probably started, I think, 15 years ago when I felt in my job, in my work, that things were a bit overwhelming mm-hmm. and that actually I realized I had to sort of, you know, up my game. But also then I sort of became more mindful of that actually you need to integrate the physical, mental, emotional and spiritual side of your life. Mm-hmm. And then sort of working through that, I've been a lifelong student. I love things, all the whole area of, you know, self-improvement, self-actualization, positive psychology, grit, uh, all of that stuff, great. But to recognize that, you know, from f- the faith side, from the Christian side, we have some unique uh, contributions in that area. Yeah. So so actually, in, in my work, I'm sort of, I feel that I bring together that those two worlds that quite often are not, you know, always in conversation with one another. But my sense is that, you know, truth uh, actually can come from various directions, mm-hmm. but they're all centered around Christ. So for me, you know, things like human flourishing, healthy growth, but also using the spiritual disciplines, prayer, meditation, scripture, worship, community, all these things in a way dovetail together. Yes. So that that's a sort of has been quite a journey. And a few years ago, I, uh, as Archdeacon, one of uh, the clergy in, in my area wanted to go on a course. And I looked at the, the you know, because we have some central funds for uh, course continuing ministerial education yeah yeah so and this was a course to about transforming conversations which is the coaching area and uh, i already had sort of known of the company and uh, 3d coaching so i sort of signed up for this coaching course i thought oh this is a great course i want to do it as well yeah, yeah. and that sort of opened for me the the whole world of coaching which is quite a different conversation to a pastoral conversation, spiritual direction, mentoring, counseling, therapy, etc. So it's very different. But what attracted me is that actually there's a real uh, focus on the person and that they know most about the issue they're facing, but also that it's future orientated. So it's a very positive experience to help people move on yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way or help them move on. All, all these different bits came together. And then I sort of, uh, last year, I had a a three-month sabbatical, and I was able to give that some more thought. And I started this non-profit in Belgium called Christilians.org. And basically, I do coaching, training, helping people find clarity and strength for their journey. Great stuff. You just alluded there, you said the O word, overwhelming, and you found work was overwhelming. How much was that, do you think, a springboard for you to do what you're doing now in Christilians. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, that that has been sort of a great because I started to discover several things that have helped me. Uh, and I'm sort of basically passing on what, what I have discovered. Mm-hmm. And also to see that actually this, is, this can be useful for lots of different people in do- lots of different settings. So I, I focus on busy professionals, senior leaders, and pressured clergy yes so i also have a number of colleagues i work with 
but also I, I love to work. My favorite category actually is the busy professionals because quite often they are in situations where work can be quite overwhelming. Yeah. And I know that sort of context having, having worked in industry myself. So I know about the deadlines, the pressures, the, the need to be to make revenue, all, all that, yeah. uh, to look after clients. Lots of people I speak to have this sort of set feeling that, that their lives are sort of segmented. So they have, they have their work that's over here, then they have their family or personal life that's in another place. And then, yeah. oh, yes, they also have their spiritual life, which is, yeah, okay, well, we might do church or I might read the Bible occasionally. But actually, people are struggling integrating these various elements in their particular setting, in their particular season of life. Yes. And, and there's not one solution. There's not one silver bullet. It is basically to help them think through that and to, in a way, sort of take, sometimes take their life apart and then put it back together. Yes. This is going to be great because uh, episode 50 that went out in July features Peter Mockford and we were looking at prayer and mental health and it's been phenomenal what's been coming back as far as feedback is is concerned already but what we're talking about here is something slightly different I would have thought whereby people know they're not actually feeling uh, really stressed or distressed they just need clarity would that be right that's right yeah I think it is uh, sort of quite often a combination I think there are three elements journey mm -hmm. clarity strength so quite often people need to do a bit of thinking on their journey. Yes. You know, how have we traveled? How am I traveling? What am I traveling towards? Yes. And understanding their journey. The second thing is clarity. Of course, the moment they start thinking those sort of things, clarity already starts to emerge. You know, first it can be a bit vague and it can be a bit unclear. But actually, as people go through this process, actually elements of clarity start to, and they get insights they suddenly realize the sort of things they're passionate about and the sort of things that actually they want to get rid of. And they become aware of the sort of changes they want to make in their lives. And then, of course, there's also the element of strength. And this is, I think, where Christianity has unique contributions to make. And this is where, you know, Christilians is, is such a, I think, such a powerful thing to, to think about. Yeah. Because when, you know, when, God, when Jesus says to Paul, you know, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. That, that is the sort of resilience we're talking about, that actually this is not about just getting better and better and better, which can be sort of the secular resilience concept. And, and again, you know, there are lots of very useful concepts and insights in there. Yeah. But, but it's not the full story because when people go through suffering or are faced with death, actually from a secular resilience point of view that looks like failure or that looks like something we have to get through very quickly and then forget about. Mm. But I would say that actually, no, that's very much part of the journey. And, and this is where Christilians can be so, in a way, liberating for people that they realize that actually, yes, this, this is a more difficult chapter of life I'm going through, but this is the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, an example of that is... Um, I've written another short book, which will be published in a few months. Oh, brilliant. I would love to come back to you in a few months to, to speak about that. Right. I will book you in afterwards. It'll be the usual Christian rate of commission, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But this is about sort of the, this was about the dealing with the death of my father. Okay. The book is called Farewell to My Father. 
and he died last year in October. Uh, my father and I had a very good relationship. He, he died at the age of 85. Oh, wow. Had a good life. But the, the last moments of his life, on one hand, were, were difficult. I mean, you know, he, he was dealing with some serious health challenges, yeah. which eventually ended in death. But for him, actually, there was also a, a coming together of, you know, finding a peace that is beyond understanding. And, and some of the doubts he had, he was, he was a very committed Christian, but actually he had his doubts, he had his yeah. things. And we, you know, we, we spoke about that regularly. We, we would pray together. But I was sort of astounded how beautiful things came together, also in terms of in our own family, but also in his community with his neighbors, Christians and non-Christians, people from very different backgrounds. And actually, how in that moment of death, we all, we all tasted, you know, resurrection, life and hope. It, it touches on Christilians. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is that one of the things I do with people, in, for example, when I do training on Christilians, is basically helping people think about their own mortality ah, and I... to, to not run away from that. And I would say almost embrace it because the moment you, you have more clarity on how things will end, although we don't know all the details and we don't know the day, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that can be quite, that can give a great impetus on how we live. So anyway, so uh, in October, I will uh, do a course called Getting Your Life Back, which of course is meant as a bit tongue in cheek, but basically quite often people feel like that. Yeah. They go through life overwhelmed. I want to get my life back. And then to look at things like time management, energy management, and soul care to basically integrate these. So that basically when a person look in their life and they look at the time aspect, the energy aspect, and the soul aspect, that actually they bring these things together yes. in a way that works for them yes. and that is unique to them. Well, I'm going to ask you at the very end to give a plug for the website because you're touching on things here that I, I find are very interesting myself as well, not just about own mortality. Farewell to my father, for instance. I think that's something that we just don't really talk about a lot of at the time. And it's interesting as well that you're talking about secular training courses because I used to be a training officer myself, so yeah, the, and I love talking about it. What you're doing here, though, is is if you're throwing a blanket over all the subjects that you could talk quite happily in a secular environment, we're covering them all, and that is with Christ, hence the word Christilians. Yeah. I was a very, very well-known American evangelist who said, God didn't create busy. You know, we do. I'd like to ask you on that then. What do you think of that statement? I absolutely agree with it. I mean, sort of when you look at, uh, when you read the Gospels and you see how Jesus goes about life, he was very much in tune with his father. You know, this is where prayer comes in. But he was never busy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had great clarity about his journey. You know, I mean, for me, he is the, uh, Christ is the most Christ Christilian person who ever lived. And the resurrection is the greatest act of Christilians. Yes. Because it's the ultimate bouncing back. Jesus was not busy, but obviously he had a clear sense of his direction. But when people came on his, on his way, he gave them their full attention. That is a, a great role model to, to keep in mind as we go through life. And I know, you know lots of, of, of my colleagues, busy, 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 busy. But actually, that can't be the way. <laughs> No, I mean, some of it is to do with facilitating it as well. You know, you often hear stories of the vicar who has to do everything. Yeah. And it's like, well, 
can't you just let somebody else play? There might be somebody who plays at the organ better than you, you know, who could actually use three fingers instead of your two, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and why do you have to sing to chopsticks all the time? Yes. So facilitating it is one, handing it out to other, other people. Yeah. When you're doing your course then, people suddenly go, oh, yeah, I'm just too busy. What's the number one thing that's going through their minds, do you think, about being busy? I think sometimes it is, I mean, there, there are various things I do in that course to sort of open it up. Okay. So quite often I ask them, you know, certain things they have to think about. So one, one is reactive proactive mm -hmm. so so recently i did a, a course here with uh, the jesuits in the chapel for europe spirituality for busy people and we had quite a number of people from the eu institutions from the commission the council the parliament oh wow and fascinating group of people so i asked them you know what part of your life is reactive and what part is proactive and that was quite sort of an insight because most people actually perceive that they go through life reactive. So you, you get the emails, you get the WhatsApps, you get do this, you get, you know, your boss tells you to do this. So basically it's like hamsters in a wheel, you know, just reacting to things. Yes. But at some point you have to basically take a little bit of control back. Whatever your place in the organization, you have to be thinking, well, what am I doing here? What am I meant to be doing here? So obviously every job has a reactive part. I mean, we, we serve people. We are there to, to help other people in an organization. We have been hired to do a particular job. But actually to think about, you know, what is my proactive work? What is my deep work? Uh, actually can be quite helpful. And the moment people, what I find is that quite often, sometimes it's getting rid of some really bad habits. The moment sometimes people have seen that, they think, Oh my goodness, you know, that one thing that was tremendous, you know, that helped me a lot. So thank you. And basically that gives them more space and they feel less overwhelmed and they move on. But sometimes they need to do a bit more work and to think, right, what am I about? What do I want to do? How can I put in a little bit more boundaries? Yes. I mean, for example, with emails, you know, people, you know, replying to emails at 10 o'clock at night, not a good idea. Then if they don't email, then you send them a WhatsApp because that they're more likely to see that, so on and so forth. And, and basically, we, we need to rethink that whole way of working because it's completely counterproductive. And the moment people see that and the moment people start to put a few of these things in their place, actually, substantial improvements can be, can be had very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Before COVID came about, you know, the number of people I would meet and they would say, well, I've got to keep my phone on. Why? Well, because, you know, we're a 24-7 company. No, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. And yeah, keep going on. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying, but why? Well, somebody might phone up at 10 o'clock. We can't do anything, can you? No, but I have to keep on top of it. And that's why I have to take my phone on holiday. Why? You need to decamp. Yeah. And you could argue to the blue in the face. So taking COVID then, there must be some positives that came out yeah. of it. Yes. So what do you think? Yes. So less travel. Mm-hmm. Because I think people started to realize we do not need to meet in person every time there's something important to say. We can do a Zoom, sometimes combine a Zoom or work in a sort of hybrid mode. Also with the office, you know, let's be honest, uh, coming to the office might not be the most productive thing you, you do. So, for example, for my work, I know, obviously, I have to be accessible. I need to meet people face to face, especially yes. pastorally. So yes, I have to be in the office a certain time, you know, certain hours of the week. But basically, I don't need to come to the office every day. 
is gewoon absoluut niet necessary. En actually, voor certain work, it's much better if I stay home and focus and get something finished. Yeah. So yes, I, I think that whole that whole realization that actually people come to the office two days a week, work from home the rest, or the other way around, be a bit flexible, be a bit mindful when you meet people. For me, Monday is meeting day. I have lots of different meetings, but then later in the week, there, there are other things that happen. So I think from that point of view, we have learned. Yes, pity we had to learn the hard way over it. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. But then if we put in the, the Christilians' attitude towards it, and we look at the Bible, we look at what Jesus uh, would have done in the situation. So what would you do to put the twist on it from a Christilians' point of view? You know, that integration, integrating the, the physical, mental, uh, emotional and spiritual, that that's so important. Lots of people have commented that actually they had more you know, family contact time. You know, I know, yes, there were certain settings where that was problematic, but actually my wife and I, we went into the into our park nearby when it was allowed, you know, twice a day for a nice long walk. And actually we became more aware how the park was changing day from day uh, through the seasons, yeah. which is something we, we did not uh, experience with the same level of consciousness uh, in other years. So to, to be aware that, yeah, you need the, all these different aspects. The interesting thing is, you know, the, the great commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, is actually speaking about that. We never really say that much, but basically the great commandment is that we are holistic beings. Mm -hmm. We are physical, spiritual, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional beings. Uh, and actually all these areas of our lives are given by God and belong to God and are returned to God in how we live. And I think in in COVID time, actually, there was a greater realization of that truth. Tell me more. Because people did realize, actually, that that we had been quite mindless, for example, in our travel, or that we had been quite mindless, that we had taken so many things completely for granted. So, for example, community there was a, a new appreciation of community when we were able to come back together. And obviously, great to have things on Zoom, but actually when we finally were able to come back together, yes, how precious that was. And, and that gave us a, a deeper understanding of the value of community and sharing life together. Yes. But also, I mean, a number of good, th really good things happened uh, during COVID. I think the, the online worship option has been great. I, I know in the Netherlands, uh, in the Protestant church, mm -hmm. their online worship had already been in existence. Well, audio worship for decades, uh, church telephone, it was called. And actually the last five to 10 years in lots of places with video as well. Oh, really? Streaming. Also the fact that we never thought about, yes, we did home communion with the elderly or the sick who were not able to come to church, but, but actually we never had the thought should we do a church service streaming for people who can't come to church? And because of this, now we have the infrastructure and we do it. And when people say, when will we stop doing this? We say, well, we won't because, you know, person X, Y, Z, actually they can't come to church. And my goodness, we have it, you know, let's do it for them. Yes. So I think there was the, the, in, in a number of areas, there was a, a new realization, a new appreciation a new awareness of the needs of others, which, 
you know, was lacking before. That's very interesting you say that. And we'll park COVID to one side now because we're running out of time, unfortunately. But in light of the word busy and in light of what you're doing with, with Christillians, I'm going to go back to one of the first questions I asked you in the, the interest getter time, where you chose Jesus as a person you'd like to have a meal with and sit down and, and chat. What do you think he'd say to you, having obviously complimented you on Christillians, what do you think he'd say to you with regard to people being busy? Uh, you can use my stories, for instance, on your future training courses. What do you think Jesus would say? I think he would not say anything. He would ask me a question. <laughs> Good answer. He always seemed to be asking questions. And I think he probably would ask me a question about an area of life where I have a blind spot. Okay. Because he, he never, I don't think he would ever ask the obvious. He, he would ask me about something he knows, I know, mm -hmm. but I don't. Yes. And, and, and I think obviously that could be quite, you know, revealing and, you know, insightful. Um, and I would, you know, with Jesus, I would not be afraid of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he, might, he might ask me about, you know, how consistent I am in living what I preach. And what would you say? You know, in this, in this area. At this point, I mean, I, I, I definitely try to live what I preach, especially with Christillians. But I also know how the tendency within us, you know, coming back to the Jeremiah 17 passage, yeah. you know, our heart... Who can understand it? Jeremiah says, obviously, I'm part of a system of a society where there are all these influences around me. And yes, I mean, I, I, I try to, you know, to have good practices, good habits. But I also know that if, I, if I'm not mindful, if I don't pay attention to that, then basically I can drift away from that. And I need to be sort of bouncing back yes. to, to the, those points and to those habits and to those practices yes and i think that's also how god works in us so for example when we uh, when we feel spiritually dry well actually that is you know god's mechanisms to call us back to the living water and to remind us oh what have you done to get your roots into me and into the living water you know what are you doing to keep yourself fresh and attached to in, in line with connected with the holy spirit so, yes, it is life, uh, and we are learning all the time. So I think he would ask me these questions with great compassion and love. Yes. But I think he would ask exactly the right questions. I've no doubt about it. <laughs> well, it's great that you've been able to link also back to one of your first answers when we were talking about the tree and the roots getting into the water. You just said there, in, in, and we'll close on this before going to your, your Christian hero, if that's okay. And you, you mentioned there about, well, what are you doing? about getting in there. And I think that's a very great thought-provoking question. So for those that are listening today is thinking, well, actually, I never thought it like that. What am I doing? How can I get my roots back into the living water? What would you say to them? I would first say a word of encouragement and that basically all of us are different. Mm -hmm. There's a book I read, I forgot the author, but it was about different pathways of prayer. Mm -hmm. That basically for some of us, it is solitude. For some of us, it's service. For, for some of us, it's being in nature. For some of us, it's, you know, being in the scriptures or engaging intellectually, all sorts of different things. So that basically for them, there are different things that, that will resonate with them. And, and quite often for people, it is sort of to, yes. to rediscover the things they were passionate about or things they want to try. So it's not about sort of just one thing, you know, do this, you know, do prayer in this particular way and everything will be okay. 
I mean, that's not how it works. There are different ways and people need to quite often be sort of opened up to different options of what works with them, with their particular personality mm. preferences. So, and, and then to sort of, in a way, sort of, you know, introduce them to, you know, to, to basically talk with them about, you know, their life. And quite often their lives are too busy or they spend four hours on social media or they, they watch television for four hours a night. Well, quite often when you take some of these things off or you, you bring them down to no, more normal proportions, mm. or for example, they start to do something physical. You know, quite often the, the people I meet um, who feel quite depressed, but then I discover that basically they don't do any physical exercise. And actually you don't need to do much. If you go out for the occasional walk or you do, you know, drink a bit more water, sometimes there's just smaller tweaks you can do to help you feel better already. Sometimes it's pointing people to a resource or to something to try. Yes. But especially to encourage them because quite often people feel so guilty that that things are not don't feel right. And to actually say that, you know, that God loves them and that actually he wants to lead them to the living water and that actually the idea is then then that there's some living water welling up inside them when that happens. Brilliant. Thank you, sir. I did like what it said on your website, actually, that Christilliance is integrating the spiritual, physical, mental and emotional aspects of life in old ways and new. And I think we've just given a glimpse of what can be done through your website and obviously from coming on your courses. So for those that would like to know more, good sir, Paul, how can they get in touch with you? And how can they find out more about the, the website and everything else, please? Yes. So uh, the, the website is fairly easy to find. Christillians.org, O-R-G. Uh, so uh, Christillians being the, the combination between Christ and resilience. So Christillians.org. Also can be found on Facebook and on Instagram. And I personally, I can be found on LinkedIn. So there are various ways for people to get in touch with me. Brilliant. Thank you. And the next course, what will that be about? Um, so the next course uh, in October will be Getting Your Life Back. It will be four online sessions uh, on Zoom. There will be one course running for busy professionals uh, and one course for pressured clergy. And uh, details are on the website. Uh, and if people have any questions, it's very easy from the website to, to email me. Basically, the, the email address is simple as well, christillians.org at gmail.com. Uh, christillians.org at gmail.com. Uh, but you, as I said, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and the website. Thank you. Well, we said right at the beginning, or I said right at the beginning, uh, we'll find out if you had a Wurzel accent because you stayed in Bristol for some time. No, your English is perfect. How many languages can you actually speak, Paul? My French is raisonnable. Oh, yeah, me, we. Mange too, mange too, yeah. My, but my, my, my children will roll their eyes because they, when we lived in France, they all went to French schools and their, their French is perfect. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, of course, a major embarrassment, no. but uh, no, my French is okay-ish, uh, Dutch, uh, English, um, German I can understand and uh, speak when I sort of get back into the rhythm of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously I've had a little bit of, of Greek, Hebrew and, and Latin, uh, but those are dead languages. Yeah. I've had a few languages in my, in my sort of journey. We've done very well, sir. You've done very well. Paul Froelich, thank you so much for joining us today. It just reminds me now to say one last question, and that is, who is your Christian hero? And I say this every week, just in case 
People say, well, why have you put these parameters on board? And that's because you never know, you might choose someone who's very well known today. And then a few years later, we find out, oh, things weren't quite so good. So consequently, your Christian hero has to be dead and also not in the Bible. So, Paul Vrolik, please tell me who your Christian hero is, please. Tim Keller. Ah, tell me more. He passed away recently, just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. He was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. And what I tremendously admire in Tim Keller uh, was his uh, preaching, his understanding of, of the gospel, but also how to really link that with people's lives and to really engage with culture. He did it brilliantly. I have all his sermons on my computer. And I must say, yeah, I, I have the greatest admiration for him. Also, I must, I must say, tremendously gifted communicator. Apparently so. But also a great sense of humor. I, I find humor so incredibly important in communicating Definitely. deep truth. So my greatest hero would be Tim Keller. What do we know about him? Where was he born? Etc. 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 Pass. I don't think he was from New York originally, uh, but he came to New York decades ago and started this this church from scratch. And then, yeah, it it really became very very big to the extent that they had multiple sites, and they would they would not announce where he would preach, because basically people would come to that one. So basically, it was you 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 went to different Redeemer sites, and then well, if you had Tim Keller, well, good for you, but. One other thing I know of him is that he was um, a very keen student of C.S. Lewis. Ah. The beautiful way he could combine things from from literature, from a film, from a book, uh, from a daily reality with the gospel and, you know, speak so clearly, but also with tremendous depth and compassion and also with humor. Great answer. Paul Verodic, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. And I will look forward to a new book that comes out in October called Farewell to My Father. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Martin. Cheers. God bless.